Welcome to Lawler Out Loud, and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Christy Lawler, and this podcast focuses on highlighting the amazing men and women that make a difference in the world. And we hope to prove that every single person has the power to make a difference and make an impact. Today's guest is Helena Tubas. First, let me thank you, Helena, for joining us today and sharing your story, your history, your experiences, and all of your thoughts. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure and an honor. Ah, that's nice of you to say. Thank you. <laughs> so we'll dive right in. I want to know a little bit more about you. And this can be like what you're doing now, your history, where you grew up, where you're from, anything. What makes you you? Um, so I, I guess I'll start early, right? Um, yeah, always, you can start uh, wherever you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, I always think of myself as a native New Yorker and, and I am in so many ways, but something that some folks don't know about me was that I was born in Mexico. Um, and I lived there till I was four. And then my mom, who's an American and who grew up in the Bronx and lived in New York till she was 19. Um, we moved back to New York, um, just me and her. She's a single mom and I was an only child. I'm an only child. She is a single mom. Um, and I was thinking about this a little bit, you know, and, you know, my mom worked really hard and we grew up, I grew up in Midtown Manhattan and I learned about food and beverage, which is where I am today in that world, um, from a very young age. My mom would work long days and we would eat out every single meal. Did your mom so, work in the industry? No, she actually, she worked in the jewelry business. So my mom okay. moved down to Mexico when she was 19 years old to start manufacturing silver jewelry um, cool. and started her career down there. And uh, yeah, and then moved to her business to New York when she wanted to raise me here. Um, but yeah, so we went out to eat breakfast on the weekends, lunch and dinner to restaurants. So we went wow. to the, Yeah. So we'd go to the coffee shop down the street for breakfast every morning. And then we had our rotating restaurants that we'd go to for dinner. And we always had dinner with my grandmother who lived 10 blocks away as well. But these were my second homes and I learned how to cook in them. I learned about, you know, I always say I didn't have a restaurant. I didn't have a restaurant job until I was 30, but I had uh -huh. like non-paying jobs when I was a little kid. Like there was a restaurant we went to, Sarah Beth Kitchen, every Saturday and Sunday morning for brunch. And I would be in the kitchen every, every, every brunch while my mother read the New York Times and drank her coffee, making cookies or scones or learning something else or, you know, oh, dinner cool. at the, ch the Indian restaurant. I would watch them cook in the tandoori oven and help them you know, put the finishing touches on plates. So, you know, my story, it's interesting. It's like, I didn't get back into food until I was 30. Yeah, um, that's but fascinating. I had this kind of early and truly way. That's super cool. And they just like let you into the kitchen and just kind of took you under their wing and taught you some stuff. Yeah. You know, it was these places we would go multiple times a week for years. Yeah. So they were my friends and extended family. Um, yeah. You know, it was a, a second home in many ways, these places. And I, I never think it would happen today. You know, we live mm -hmm. in a different uh, world. But these were small, independent restaurants, you know. Um, yeah. And they relied on locals like us. Absolutely. I this realized. is fascinating. Yeah. 
Wow. So what happened? Like, so what was the delay in getting back in? If obviously, you know, this was a part of your upbringing, this industry, what, what did you do in between? So I went to college and I studied philosophy. <laughs> so okay. basically this I makes learned sense for think. your personality. <laughs> <laughs> I learned how to think and make good arguments and uh, be, you know, introspective and inquisitive. Um, I also studied art history. Um, and from there, I went into the nonprofit world. Um, so I spent kind of the first... 15 years out of college um, and and I started in high school as well in college um, doing internships at nonprofits and stuff but my goal had been to start my own organization I didn't know exactly what it was going to do um, but after kind of working in a few organizations I realized if I wanted to start my own organization what I really needed to learn how to do was raise money mm-hmm. so that's kind of the way my, um, my trajectory went. So I went from my first job out of college, I was the first full time employee of a new organization. Um, There was a part time director, and I was the only full time employee. Um, And then I had a few other jobs in between. But then I went on this like development path. So I started raising money first at a school, and then into kind of more radical kind of left, um, organizations doing work with workers' rights, domestic workers' rights, housing, um, and immigration issues. Um, and so you were a total champion of the people. Uh, yes, I was. And I continue That's to be, awesome. but in a different way. <laughs> um, but the work, and although I loved the work, um, there was a point where I was like, I can't do this anymore. It's just too taxing. And although I was, you know, raising money and doing it behind the scenes, kind of, I knew I needed a shift. I needed Mm -hmm. to do something different because everything that had been driving me to do this work, you know, I was this bright eyed kid for a long time who thought that they could change the world. And, you know, I think we all can in our, our own ways, but I was just exhausted. Like political work can be very exhausting. Yeah. I just knew I needed a break. Um, yeah. And so I, I looked around, that. you know, so I looked yeah. around my life and I was like, what brings me joy? What, you know, and I realized I was at this point where it was the first time I was living by myself and I'd come home every night and I'd cook for myself and I would cook these elaborate meals. Um, and then on the weekends I would cook for my friends mm-hmm. and it was like, meditative and relaxing and brought me so much joy so I said you know maybe I should work in food um and so I it was I managed to kind of move the my my job from my nonprofit that I was working for to part-time and started working in a kitchen and a restaurant in New York um okay and I played around with that for a little while um I think I gave it about six months um you know I was contemplating going to culinary school but I had gotten some advice to go work in a kitchen you can get a job and I did and I realized that although I loved kit working um I loved cooking and that working and this experience working in the kitchen was remarkable that I really needed um I, that I, that it wasn't what I wanted to do for work day after day 
Mm. Um, okay, so, makes sense. Right. So I decided to look at some other options for school, and I ended up at the NYU Food Studies Master's Program. Um, Very cool. Yeah. So my first semester there, I got received, you know, it was part-time. I was still working. Um, I got my first job as uh, a waitress um, that semester. Um, And I was also working for the nonprofit I had been working for. And I was taking classes at night and a job fell on my desk. That's a lot. Yeah, Yeah. it was a lot. But, you know, I was, I was, I was At that age, we tend to take on. Yeah, you tend to yeah. take on a lot of challenges in that age. Um, and so I found this job. I a job crossed my desk. It was working at a nonprofit that worked with immigrant, um, mostly immigrants and low income folks uh, that were street vendors. And one of the big interests I had going into NYU was immigrant foodways. And what I was interested in was how the maintaining immigrant food culture can affect health you know there was so Mm -hmm. there's all this stuff about assimilation and really food is a big piece of that um and the loss of food culture was something that you know happens with new immigrants a lot but there's so much we can learn from various food ways so i was Mm -hmm. interested in that and um street vending and new immigrants and food it was all it all came together and so I got this job and I was running an event series called the Vendi Awards which um highlights the best street vendors in New York and I took that job and I did it for three years and I expanded it to LA Chicago New Orleans and Philadelphia Um, awesome yeah and that was kind of my first segue into like a full-time food job that wasn't at a restaurant. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, yeah. So tell us a little bit uh, about what you're doing now. So while I was at that job, <laughs> um, <laughs> I met these two uh, people who, Zach and Alex, they had founded this food truck that had won a Vendi Award. Um, and the company was called at that time Kelvin Natural Slush Co., um, and their idea was to reinvent the slushy using the Slurpee using all natural ingredients and more sophisticated flavors. You know, it was this time, it was around 2010, when mm-hmm. all of these nostalgic treats were being reinvented. People were starting to care more about what the ingredients were in the things that they were e- eating. And although it was totally acceptable to drink a Jamba Juice or a Frappuccino in a corporate environment, if you showed up with like a blue raspberry slushy, like that wasn't exactly the acceptable. So the idea was, you know, like these new popcorns and ice creams, um, kind of premium, the premiumization of these nostalgic treats. And um, so the product was great. We kind of hit it off from day one. Um, and about, and the initial idea was to make to do standalone retail shops um, like Pinkberry or Jamba Juice. Um, but people love the product and it was very quickly noticed that people like to, to spike it. So they'd come to the truck or to <laughs> yeah. our stand at Smorgasburg, which is this really cool food market in, the, in Brooklyn. And they'd ask where they could get some, you know, rum or vodka or tequila and people would bring it. Um, Mm -hmm. and about a year in, 
um, I believe it was about a year in, yeah, they asked me, or two years in, they asked me to come help them launch the food service side of the business, working with bars and restaurants to do frozen cocktails. Awesome. Um, which was also a space that kind of needed this reimagination, especially, you know, at with the rise of this mus- the premiumization of nostalgic treats, it was happening across the board, you know, the rise of the craft cocktail movement, we're moving away from vodka sodas and drinks, cosmopolitans are kind of the original, you know, that was, that was like around that time too, where like really people were putting care and um, attention into the drinks that they were crafting. Um, and the frozen cocktail was kind of the redheaded stepchild of the, of the bunch, regardless yeah. of, the, of the cocktail program. Um, so yeah, so they brought me on to kind of launch that for them. And since then, we've pivoted completely away from retail. Um, and now we work with bars and restaurants, hotels, cruise ships, uh, stadiums across the country doing premium custom craft frozen cocktails. So how much of your business is driven by the alcohol side versus the non alk like do you find an even mix between for your product line between both sides not at all I mean it's mostly cocktail at this point okay but it's interesting you know I do I definitely have seen I'm sure you know and have heard as do many of your listeners there's kind of this movement towards the non-alcoholic drink yeah Um, in, Low in or a no bar. ABV. Mm-hmm. Exactly. In an atmosphere where previously folks might want an alcoholic beverage. So we were finding that some of our accounts that even if they serve an alcoholic cocktail or like an uh, a frozen cocktail with alcohol in it might want to do an interesting non-alcoholic cocktail mm-hmm. um, that's frozen because by being frozen, frozen cocktails bring people joy. I always talk about like, I have the best job in the world. Like my, for with alcohol or without slushies make people happy. Like yes, they, they do. They just do. Um, and so on its own, a frozen drink without alcohol is just fun. People like to drink it. It kind of, it plays into this idea that these non-alcoholic, these zero proof cocktails can be really fun and uh, celebratory. Yes, absolutely. That's super Um, cool. Yeah. So I always ask like where you found your inspiration and how you discovered it um, or where you find it today. So clearly you discovered your inspiration for what you're doing now in your upbringing, in your childhood. So where do you find it now? Um, So I think that what I love about my job, my career, and kind of my life is building things and creating things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been with Kelvin for six years now, and every day is a brand new day. Um, the company has changed so much. The work we do is constantly evolving. The drinks we're making are constantly evolving. The type of customers we work with. And you know, I definitely am one of those people that derive um, joy and inspiration from people and relationships. Um, mm-hmm. At the core, that's like who I am. And I think so many people who work 
in hospitality and F&B um, are like that. Yeah, um, definitely. So, you know, I will pick up a phone like two out of three times before I'll write an email. Um, <laughs> I wish I could worse. say that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's more, I spend so much know, time emailing. <laughs> oh, I love, I love a phone call. Um, you know, obviously there's a time, maybe two out of three times is an exaggeration, but you know, for me, it's just easier and more effective to yeah. pick up the phone. Yeah. Um, I agree. And some, you know, obviously it depends who it is and what the occasion is, but you know, I love interacting with humans in a human way. Um, so, you know, I'll oh, grab yeah. a cup of coffee and I'll grab a drink and I'll pick up the phone. Um, you know, I always want to hear about people uh, that I'm working with and what inspires them also. So I'm always looking to have a conversation that's beyond just kind of the no I would agree with level. you completely you're you're very friendly and outgoing I mean <laughs> we haven't known each other that long when I felt like you were one of my new best friends the second I met you <laughs> and I love it when I discover new people that kind of have that personality because I'm I feel immediately comfortable with them and I can't wait to hear what they have to say and I'm always excited to listen to their stories and their thoughts so um, I definitely, I definitely agree with you. You're, you're, you're <laughs> super, you're super friendly and outgoing. So, and you're, you're a very happy person. I don't think I've ever seen your face without a smile on it. I think mm-hmm. your natural resting face is resting smile face, which is a really <laughs> good thing. Uh, Never heard of that one before. But I know. Okay. I'm just making it up now because it's, it, it's a thing. It should be a thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> if we're going to call people, say people have resting bitch face. There yeah. are plenty of people with resting smile face too. Yeah. So, um, so I want to know if you can give an example of when you turned um, a negative experience or a process or a time in your life into something that turned out to be a positive memory. Um, this is a challenging one. Um, I know. Cause you have to dig deep. Yeah. Because I feel like, I, so I'm <clears throat> one of those people who really like, I get over things really easily. I get them out of my, I like, I'll, I'll get, I can get upset and really like deep into something, but I'll let it go and truly let it go. Um, and to, for better, or for worse, um, generally I keep the, I hope to think, uh, I keep the lessons with me. Um, but the trauma I try to <laughs> push away. Um, so yeah. this is why I think this one might be hard. Um, a negative experience. I mean, they're always, there's always negative stuff going on. Um, I don't know. It's like every rejection, right? Yeah. I feel like that's kind of, I remember early, early on in kind of both this part of my career and earlier on, it's like the rejection. It's like, how do you deal with rejection? Mm-hmm. So, you know, self-negativity, negative, negativity brought on by the self, right? It's like, I can't believe they said no to me. I can't believe they don't want to work with me. I can't believe this. And I've gotten over that, right? So that was like a really hard thing for me to deal with. Yeah, that's huge. Um, 
and, you know, feeling that rejection or taking things personally when they're not personal. Um, yeah. And just, I, I, maybe this is not the answer to your question, but it's what it made me think of. Um, and just getting to a point where, you know, rejected, but it's not personal and not taking it to heart. Um, yeah you know and letting it affect you negatively and not letting it move you forward yeah just letting it go or processing it and moving forward yeah Um, yeah I think that's something that everybody struggles with regardless of how they approach it it's it's hard to handle rejection and everybody everybody can definitely relate to being rejected at some point but turning it into a positive is really a, a huge thing. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I have a, no, I actually, I, seriously hilarious. I once had a, I once had an operator, a buyer for a large national chain call me and he was like, Oh my gosh, I am so sorry. I had no idea. I made you cry when I didn't pick your sake for my program. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm sorry, you're gonna have to backtrack a little because I'm I'm confused. What exactly did you hear? And he's like, Oh yeah, Teddy, who was my boss at the time, he's like, <laughs> called me and he said, Oh man, you made Christy Lawler cry. And I'm like, Okay, first of all, that's not true. <laughs> he was totally pulling your leg. If it doesn't make sense for you, it doesn't make sense for you. I'm not taking it personally. I didn't make the sake and I'm not making your decisions. And I just, we still, to this day, and this has been about 10 years, we still laugh about that because he felt so bad at -hmm. the thought that he potentially made me cry (laughs) that he picked up the phone and called me to apologize. And I'm like, oh man, I'm never going to forget this. And so it's one of those things where you never know. And you never know, but you learn, right? Yeah. So, Okay. So now I want to know if you weren't working for Kelvin Slush, if you weren't in this business or I, I don't know, if you had complete freedom and flexibility financially and otherwise, what would you do with your life? Um, pretty like maybe standard answer. I, I mean, I grew up traveling a ton and it's what I need it, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I'd be traveling the world, you know, like living in different places and um exploring and meeting new people and mm-hmm. showing my daughter I you know showing my daughter the world she's three and a half she's yeah. already been like around the world three times but yeah. <laughs> you know on a on a day-to-day basis but you know New York is definitely home so I'm yeah spend some time here too um early on I mean I'd probably do something good for the world as well <laughs> while on my travels. Um, Considering your background, I would think exactly. so. That would probably be part of it. Um, I mean, if you were just a lady of leisure, I'm imagining that you would probably, when you weren't being fabulous and traveling the world, you would probably be helping people. But maybe on my travels? <laughs> and both, right? Exactly. Yes. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And, that makes you sense. Know, I probably for like a fir- first little while, I'd probably just want to be- take some leisure, but then I'd get, you know, I, I, I that wouldn't last. Uh, yeah. You <laughs> get restless. Exactly. Yeah. Restless wouldn't and be one- fulfilling for too long. Yeah. 
Right. Well, one of the best things for me about being a parent is getting to see the world through my kids' eyes or getting to experience things I've experienced as an adult, but doing it with them and kind of going through it again, but with that renewed sense of awe and wonder. It's completely it's super fun. It's a huge perk they don't tell you about in the baby books. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> there's a lot they don't tell you about the baby books but that's one of the good things right and you get to learn math again right I hear that somebody told me (laughs) I'm not looking forward to that I wasn't good the first time (laughs) you know you you, maybe you'll be better the second time I I have a feeling you will be I don't think I got any smarter since leaving (laughs) my educational path I'll be honest (laughs) (laughs) um so okay so any regrets Um, you're a really positive person, so I doubt you have any, but if you do, um, or maybe it's just something you wish you could do a little differently in the past or something that you learned from so much in the past that you would do differently in the future. Oh, um, we're not allowed to talk about politics, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's um, it's about me. (laughs) Yeah. Let's, yeah, let's leave that. (laughs) Let's leave that for someone else's podcast. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) regrets, personal regrets, personal regrets. Um, Let me think. Or it could be career. I mean, just if there's anything that sticks out in your mind where you're like, yeah, I definitely screwed that up royally. Or that person pissed me off and I'm still not over it. (laughs) I mean, maybe I, are there any regrets? I mean, are there any grudges that I've held too long? You know, maybe here and there a grudge I've held too long. But, you know, as as people who, as like a relatively emotionally intelligent person, relatively, you know, um, I think that most of the things that have happened in my life have led me where I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if I'd want to be anywhere else right now. Um, so you live, you learn, you, yeah, you know, you have that in common with every other witty woman. I know, I know you haven't met every single one of us yet, but (laughs) that is something that is almost verbatim. Everybody's response that no, it brought me where I am. I can't look back and say, oh, that's unfortunate if it brought me where I am today, because who knows where I'd be otherwise. Yeah, it's yeah. just, I'm, I'm like, does it serve me to live mm-hmm. in the past that way? No, no not necessarily. Not if it's negative. Right? They say the only time you should ever look back is to see how far you've come. Yeah, I, to- I totally believe that. It's, it's yeah. totally true. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm with you 100%. I love it. That's what I like <laughs> about asking that question of everybody that comes on the podcast. I want to hear how similar the answers are because they're similar. Right. (laughs) Um, So what would you want the listening audience to know about you? Total stranger comes up to you. What do they need to know? What do you want them to know? Um, I'll give them directions to anywhere I, uh, anywhere (laughs) they need directions to. Um, I, I say that as a joke, kind of, I, I don't know if everybody gets asked this all the time, but I feel like people come up to me on the street more often than other people asking where something is. 
um, which is, which I, I love being able to answer those questions. Yeah. Um, so it must be your resting smile face, right? right? You're approachable. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, and that obviously isn't really the answer, but the answer is it's like, oh, I'm like open-minded. And if you want to talk to me, like, let's have a conversation. Um, I like people. Um, so if you want to, if you want to go deep, let's do it. Um, that's kind of it. So you you would want people to know that you're safe. Yeah. I'm available available to, you know, I'm safe. You're taking applications for new friends. I don't need new friends. (laughs) You know, like I'm not, I'm not like on the out on the quest for new friends. Exactly. But yeah. I love finding new people in my life that bring me joy. Oh, yeah. I get it. Right? You know? Oh, yes. Absolutely. Um, it's, yeah, it's like that. And it's- I love to help. I love connecting people. I love, um, yeah, I love connecting people. I love sharing. All that good stuff. Yeah. I, I can see that. I would agree. Uh, you're, you're what they call a go-giver. I've got that <laughs> book in my office about being a go-giver, but instead of a go-getter. And I like I that like term. <laughs> I think it's good. And I think it, it, it definitely makes sense to describe you as a go-giver for sure. So, um, so if people want to learn more um, or talk to you, um, learn more about the products you're selling, the company you work with, or you in general, like how, how do you want people to be able to reach you? They can look me up on LinkedIn, which will now have a little bit that says Helena Tubis, go giver and resting <laughs> smile face. Yes, that should be your new, uh, what do they call it on your profile where it's your like top line description? Yeah. That should be yours. I suffer from resting smile face. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, fantastic. That's Awesome. Well, I'll be yeah. sure to put your, uh, your LinkedIn link in the profile on the podcast. And that way you can connect with everyone. Awesome. Thank you so much for being my guest Thanks and for, for sharing me. all of this with me. I definitely learned like two new things about you that I didn't know before, right within the first few minutes. So I <laughs> love that. Um, and I really just, I appreciate you giving me your time today. And I appreciate you. Well, thank you. And thank you all for tuning in to Lawler Out Loud, Mixing Up the Mainstream.